Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. Who cares who your name is? Who cares how many books we've written? Who cares? Who cares? Who cares? Tell me about Jesus. Tell me about Jesus. That's who we're spending eternity with, right? Not famous Christian author or some sort of social media whatever. Spending forever with Jesus. I can make it through this life facing anything because I know I'm spending it forever with Jesus. Just give me Jesus. Just give me Jesus. Micah, glad to meet you. Cool, you're from that town? Sweet. Tell me about Jesus. Most people chase after celebrities, the stars of film and music and sports. That's who they seek to imitate. Their aspirations of fame and fortune, they're hollow though. In today's message, Pastor James proclaims that in the end, only Jesus matters. In a lost and hurting world, we desperately need Jesus' message of hope. We should desire a back row seat in heaven with our Savior over a first row seat with the most popular celebrity. Sit at Jesus' feet, listen to his story, and live a life to be imitated. Now turn in your Bible to the book of Micah chapter 1 for today's edition of Bread for the Broken. Hey, if you got your Bible, go ahead and open up to the book of Micah. Micah is a minor prophet found it's just right after Jonah. Man, it's kind of towards, you know, kind of towards the middle. Just flip around, you'll see it. It's right there. I'm sure you'll discover it. Page 1251, if you're using my Bible, which you're not. Anyways, Micah is where we're going to be, and we're going to get back into our minor prophet series that we we're going through before we... Gosh, dove off into Leviticus and then Numbers, and then we're going to jump back into these minor prophets, finish out these, the last half of these things. Obviously, we went through all of them up, up until Micah, I mean, we're just going to jump back into them. The way we do these minor prophet ones is kind of an overview, a flyover, 30,000 feet kind of a thing. We're going to go through the first two chapters, and it'll take us three nights to cover this entire book. So, If you're like, but I want more. Well, you got a Bible, right? Cool. Blueletterbible.com. Have at it. Uh, There's a lot you can dig into it. I'm just going to hit some high points and all that, but I do want to provide some background information concerning the book of Micah, but let me just pray and then we'll get right into this. It's not about us, not about our agendas. It's not about what we want. It's about what we need. And what we need is your word. What we need is to worship you. Lord, what, what we need to do is stop worshiping ourselves. We're going to see in the book of Micah that quite often that that's what your people are guilty of. It's too much about us, and it's just not about you anymore. And may that never be true of us here at Calvary Galveston. If that's the case, if it's ever the case, Lord, then, then close the doors. But this is about you, and we want to hear from you, Lord. We don't want to be guilty of covetousness or idolatry or, or any of those things. So, Lord, as we take a look into these minor prophets, I pray that we don't just cruise through them too quickly or beat up on the children of Israel too badly, Lord, without looking in the mirror at ourselves. So we just, we give you our hearts, our minds, our focus and attention. And Lord, we just ask that you would speak to our hearts through this, just this really cool book, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
All right, so Micah, beyond being just a cool, catchy name for your kid somewhere down the road, is a, he's a minor prophet. Um, he doesn't let you know too much about himself, which is kind of good. Anybody who speaks on behalf of the Lord, I don't think it should be that much about them, to be quite honest with you. <laughs> who cares who you are in one sense, right? Are you called to do it? Sweet, show up and do it. That's kind of how this thing should go, right? The spotlight should never be on the prophet, should always be on the one who they are generally prophesying about, which ultimately should be about Jesus, which is what I like about Micah. He just kind of lets you know, like, hey, my name is Micah. I'm from this place. Let's get into this. And that's kind of what we need, especially within a, a culture that we live within where it's like celebrity pastors and all this stupid stuff, right? It's just like nonsense. Who cares who your name is? Who cares how many books we've written? Who cares? Who cares? Who cares? Tell me about Jesus. Tell me about Jesus. That's who we're spending eternity with, right? Not famous Christian author or some sort of social media whatever. Spending forever with Jesus. I can make it through this life facing anything because I know I'm spending it forever with Jesus. Just give me Jesus. Just give me Jesus. Micah, glad to meet you. Cool. You're from that town? Sweet. Tell me about Jesus. And that's what he does. I love it. And his whole message is really about judgment. Oh, we don't like that. That's not going to sell today. Well, you know what? It's a message we need today, judgment. But also judgment mingled with mercy and hope. All judgment, all hellfire and brimstone, you know what it's going to do? Turn people away. You want to know why I despised the church growing up? It's because there was pastors yelling all the time. I was just a little kid about how I'm just going to go to hell. And there's no hope. Like, where's the hope then? If I don't dress in a three-piece suit, I guess I'm not good. I'm a poor kid from a trailer park. Like, I don't, there's no way I'm ever, I just recently bought a suit. And I was to do Tyler and Jacqueline's wedding. Like, that's the first suit I've ever owned in almost 20 years of ministry. All judgment messages may have a place to a certain degree, but we represent Jesus and we represent the gospel. So any messages of judgment should be mingled with mercy and hope. Tell me there's hope. Tell me there's a way. Tell me there is. And the book of Micah lets us know, like, yeah, you did wrong. Guess what? You're going to pay for that. However, in the end, Jesus, he's going to come to the rescue. He's going to come to the rescue. So Micah is writing during a time where it was just kind of, it was fascinating. He's kind of a contemporary of Isaiah and Hosea. Okay, so he's kind of running around basically around the same time as these guys. What Israel is experiencing is kind of um, to a certain extent, like there's been some invading that's been going on, but financially things are kind of good for some of them. And so they're using that as an advantage to take it. Well, really to their advantage to oppress the poor even more than what than what they were normally doing. So you got chaos in the northern part of the tribes, which he writes to both the southern tribes and the northern tribes. But the northern had been experiencing some turmoil and everything, and it's been chaos for the most part up there. But others, the rich, have gotten richer while the poor have gotten poorer, kind of a scenario, okay? So you got Micah. His name means who is like Yahweh. Who is like the Lord? Really cool name, really cool meaning. What's kind of cool about his book is he starts it off with, the Lord gave this message to Micah, and he ends his book with, basically in one of the last verses, who is like the Lord? Because it's almost like it's Micah, you know, at the end. Who is like the Lord? Nobody's like the Lord. Here he is as a prophet, and he starts it off, verse one, 
the Lord gave this message to Micah, Morsheth, during the years when Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah were the kings of Judah. So Judah's a southern kingdom. The visions he saw concerning both Samaria and Jerusalem. So Samaria is representing a little bit up north. Jerusalem's the southern part. And so let me just throw, you, throw out some stuff here. Morsheth was located 22 miles southwest of Jerusalem. It's not really significant as far as a town goes. Oh, little town of Morsheth. Like nobody knows, like nobody knows, but that's where Micah's from. That's all we really know about it to a certain extent. I mean, you can pull up an encyclopedia and do some research on it, but it's a little town, 22 miles southwest of Jerusalem, which means there ain't nothing out there. It's just rocks, a bunch of rocks. That's it. So it's not like some metropolitan town or this cool place to be from. It's just, I'm Micah from a little town that you probably never heard about. That's who I am. And he's like, and I got a message that God gave to me to tell the nation of Israel, so to speak. I mean, because he is going to speak to both northern and southern. And it's not going to be a popular message. But it's going to be a message that they need to hear. So there's already three kings that were referenced when he served as a prophet, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. And you got basically the time frame here is from 750 BC down to 687 BC is is kind of his time frame. So 20, 25 years or so is the best estimate of the length of his ministry. He was the prophet during the reign of these kings. And really, these kings weren't all that awesome, okay, except for Hezekiah. Hezekiah, out of the three, Hezekiah is probably the best one. And he made some mistakes and, and everything, but this is who was ruling when he was the prophet. What's kind of cool about Micah is he's directly quoted in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah 26, 18. And in fact, it's the verse from Micah, this verse that is quoted on behalf of Jeremiah is what saves Jeremiah's life. It comes from the book of Micah. So Jeremiah is like, he's up for like, they're going to execute this guy. They're going to kill him. And then some other guys are like, well, I remember in Micah, he said this, and that was the exact verse that really spared Jeremiah's life. So praise God for the word of God that can save lives. <laughs> and the right word spoken at the right time can really do wonders for the soul. The theme, like I said, is judgment and forgiveness. The purpose is Mike is going to line out some sins because regardless of the prosperity that parts of Israel were experiencing, there was a lot of sin going on within the camp. Some sins that are addressed are going to be idolatry, seizure of property, taking property from people, failure of civil leadership, religious leadership, prophetic leadership, the belief of personal sacrifice, the belief that personal sacrifice satisfies divine justice. Meaning like, well, if I just do the sacrifice, then God has to be good with me. Mike is going to address that stuff later on. Corrupt business practices and violence. These are some specific sins that he's going to address that these guys were guilty of, and that because of that, judgment was coming. Judgment was coming. So here you go. Verse one, that's kind of your introduction, so to speak. You got a time frame. You got three kings that help us to frame out. Yes, he did actually exist, and he served within this time frame, and it's all right before everything just kind of crumbles. Verse two, He's going to use this phrase three times throughout the entire book of Micah, whether it be translated attention or pay attention or look at this. 
Okay, he does that three times throughout this book. Verse two is the first one. Attention, look at this, pay attention. Let all the people of the world listen. Let the earth and everything in it hear. The sovereign Lord is making accusations against you. The Lord speaks from his holy temple. So verses two through seven are essentially like the lawsuit that God brings against his people. Okay, he's indicting them right? You guys ever heard that word before? Probably not. It's not a common phrase at all, right? Indictments? We never hear those. Not, no, I'm joking. I'm being facetious. That's all I ever hear now. Who got indicted? I don't know. Maybe I did. I'm not even sure anymore. Like everybody, they're throwing out indictments like it's candy on Halloween. I don't know what's going on here, but maybe they'll do something about it. I don't know, but probably not. Um, Anyways, God's got an indictment against his people because they're guilty. They're actually guilty of something. So God's bringing charges against them. So here you have this courtroom scenario and God shows up and he's like, I got issues with you. How are you going to stand in defense against God? You're not. If you're guilty, you're guilty. That's just it. Well, that's the bad news, right? We all stand before a sovereign, holy God, guilty. Guilty. We just are. Born guilty. But praise God, there's a solution to that. The problem is not necessarily like, yeah, you're born a sinner, but there's a way for salvation. The problem is that God is bringing these accusations up concerning these people is that these are willful sins. This isn't like a sin of omission. Like, well, I didn't know. This is sins of commission, meaning like, yeah, we knew that was bad and we did it anyways. That's why God's like, I got a problem with you guys. I've had a problem with you guys for quite a while now, actually. I've shown you grace. I've given you time to repent. You don't want to repent? Okay, the hammer's coming down. It's just coming down. So Micah is being used by God to like grab everybody's attention. He's like, look, God has gotten up. He stood up in the temple is basically what he's saying. So that should catch our attention. It's like the Lord speaks from his holy temple. Look, the Lord is coming. He leaves his throne in heaven and tramples the heights of the earth. The mountains melt beneath his feet and flow into the valleys like wax in a fire, like water pouring down a hill. And why is this happening? Because of the rebellion of Israel. Yes, the sins of the whole nation. Who is to blame for Israel's rebellion? Well, certainly not them. I mean, that's our modern thinking, right? Look, if I did something wrong, it's not my fault, okay? It's just not my fault. Yeah, I can blame anybody else. I don't have to own anything because it can't be my fault. Who's responsible for the rebellion of Israel? Uh, Israel. Yeah, Israel is. Even specifically points out Samaria, its capital city. Or is it the whole nation? Who's to blame for Israel's rebellion? Samaria, its capital city. Where is the center of idolatry in Judah? In Jerusalem, its capital. You want to know who's responsible for your sins? You are, you are, you are. Who's responsible for my sins? Well, somebody else. It's got to be somebody else. It was my dad. I'm sure it was my dad, right? That was his fault. No, it's James's fault. And I don't repent for other people's sins. I repent for my own sins. Nobody else repents on behalf of me for my sins. I got to own my own sins. I stand before the Lord presenting what I have done. Now, you can pray 
for forgiveness on behalf of others and like a nation like Daniel did. He went before the Lord and was like, Lord, please forgive us as a nation. And I'm all for that because we should be doing more of that for our nation that is corrupt and wicked. But when it comes down to it, if we're talking personal relationship, which this Jesus thing is a personal relationship, you're responsible for your own actions. You can't put that on anybody else. Just got to own it. Who's responsible? The capital city, Samaria, Jerusalem. Verse 6, so I, the Lord, will make the city of Samaria a heap of ruins. Her streets will be plowed up for planting vineyards. I will roll the stones of her walls into the valley below, exposing her foundations, essentially bringing her to shame. All her carved images will be smashed as they should be. All her sacred treasures will be burned. These things were bought with the money earned by her prostitution, and they will now be carried away to pay prostitutes everywhere. So God's like, all right, let's have a heart to heart. This is what you're guilty of. This is what I see. And I'm not happy about it. So what's going to happen is I'm going to send in a nation to judge you. To judge you. There's time to repent. Praise God that there's time to repent. The sad reality is when we just don't. Then we get mad at God for him honoring his word. You reap what you sow. How could I ever get mad at God if I sow consequences that I reaped, I planted those seeds. God, that you're not fair. Well, did you repent? Did you ever turn away from it? No. Okay. There's consequences. I think that is fair. I don't like it when it happens to me, but it's fair. <laughs> and so God's like, if you know the history of Israel, he's like, I gave you time to repent. I sent you prophets and all you do is just kill them. But you don't want to repent. So, okay, well, then here's what has to happen. Judgment has to come. It has to happen. You're going to be carried away. So here's, in response to this accusation or indictment that God is laying out before, I'm just going to use the term, the nation of Israel. There's a lament that happens. It found in verse 8. Therefore, I will mourn and lament. I will walk around barefoot and naked. I will howl like a jackal. And moan like an owl, for my people's wound is too deep to heal. It has reached into Judah, even to the gates of Jerusalem. Don't tell our enemies in Gath, don't weep at all. Just so you understand, this next part, it's just, it's poetry, okay? There's a lot of wordplay. It's kind of cool what Micah does here. Don't tell our enemies in Gath, don't weep at all. You people in Beth, Lephra, if that's how you pronounce it, which I think it is, it says, roll in the dust to show your despair. Beth Lepra is, so Beth meaning house, a house of dust. So he's using this word, he's like using this location, but he's also putting this thing, go ahead and roll around in the dust to show your despair. You people in Shafir, which it sounds like a Hebrew word that means for beautiful, go as captives into exile, naked and ashamed. The, quite the opposite of beautiful in one sense is what he, this wordplay he's using. People of Zayan dare not come outside of their walls. Zayan meaning to, to come outside. People of Beth Ezeel mourn, for their house has no support, or technically, maybe in your translation, it says their house has been taken away, or it's been taken away, or carried off, because Beth Ezeel means house of taken away. 
So he's using these cities and he's describing these things to him. He's like, you're going to be taken away. You're going to be naked and ashamed, you know, roll in the dust. It's kind of a, could be a reference there to repentance or just flat out just despair. The people of Meroth anxiously await for relief, but only bitterness awaits them as the Lord's judgment reaches even to the gates of Jerusalem. Meroth is connected to Mara, which means bitterness. One byproduct of bitterness that people don't, I think, really understand is anxiety. You let bitterness take root within your heart. I'm going to guess you're probably going to have some anxious moments within your life because the two are like almost, they just work really well together. Your bitterness, and then you turn that into whatever else. So he's saying like people are off anxiously await for their relief, but only bitterness awaits them. So he's just saying, what's coming for you guys is just everything that you don't want. Everything, for the most part, these guys think that they don't deserve. He continues on with it. Harness your chariot horses and flee, you people of uh, Lachish, which Lachish is a word for a specific type of horses. You were the first city in Judah to follow Israel in her rebellion, and you led Jerusalem into sin. Send farewell gifts to Moresheth Gath. There is no hope of saving it. Moresheth Gath and those farewell gifts, that could also be a dowry. This is what that can be translated to. The town of Akzib has deceived the kings of Israel. Akzib means to deceive or deception. The people of Mereshoth, I will bring a conqueror to capture your town. Obviously, Mereshoth, if you're not putting it together yet, means conqueror, okay, <laughs> or to be conquered. And all the leaders of Israel will go to Adullam. O people of Judah, shave your heads in sorrow, for the children you love will be snatched away. Make yourselves as bald as a vulture, for your little ones will be exiled to distant lands. So here's the lament from Micah based off the pronouncement by God of like, look, judgment's coming, and here's what's going to happen to you. You're going to be carried away in your nakedness and your shame, and you're going to lose everything. You're going to lose everything. So prepare for this, essentially, is what he's saying. Judah, shave your heads in sorrow because, well, your kids, they're gone. Your kids are gone. Assyria would end up invading Judah and destroy nearly 50 villages. So Assyria would make it down into the southern kingdom. They would destroy about 50 villages. However, they could never conquer Jerusalem, which is kind of fascinating because if you go into Isaiah chapter 36 and 37, God had spared Jerusalem for David's sake, which is kind of amazing. God was keeping his promise to David. Even though Jerusalem is guilty, God preserved a remnant. God's like, you can take all these towns, but I'm not going to give you Jerusalem. I'm not going to give you Jerusalem. I'm not going to give you all of Jerusalem. So he spared that for David's sake. Because God, if he's going to do anything, he's going to honor his word. God cannot lie. And so you got this pronouncement, and then it's just guilt, and you're guilty, and here comes the judgment. And if we were there, if we were neighboring towns or whatever, looking upon the destruction that was impending for these guys, how would you and I react to this? I mean, would you celebrate their downfall? The good Christian answer would be like, oh, of course not. But what's the honest answer? What's the honest answer? I mean, do we celebrate the downfall of lost sinners? And this all goes with this as Micah's writing this, and he's like, oh, these guys are guilty. But here's what's coming. What it leads Micah to do is to mourn. 
these very people that don't want to hear anything he has to say. Compassionate and loving are just a few descriptions of God. Did you know that in the Minor Prophets, he's also described as just? Israel and Judah thumbed their noses at God by making him unimportant in their lives. They gave in to their own desires, did what they wanted, and despaired in tough situations. All of this caused them to forget God as their protector and provider. Why is it so easy to do those things that, in the long run, aren't good for us? More than I care to admit, I see myself doing those same things, over and over. God was patient with them, and He's patient with me. But there comes a point when a reality check is needed. Jesus draws the line between white and black, wrong and right, judging actions and motives. Thankfully, He doesn't leave us in that rotten state. He offers us forgiveness and hope. You've been listening to Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. Pastor James has been teaching through a series called Major Messages from the Minor Prophets. Each message professed by the prophets reveals his abundant patience, his faithfulness, and also his justice. If you missed one or more of these teachings, I encourage you to go back and listen to them again at breadforthebroken.com. Just click on the Listen tab. We'd love for you to come join us each Sunday morning at 10 a.m. or Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. Our prayer is that you're encouraged and rest in the confidence that Jesus will right every wrong. Be sure to tune in next time as Pastor James continues here on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you.